Welcome to Uncharted Careers. I'm Courtney Hartman, and I talk with guests each week about their career paths to give listeners an insider look into different industries, how folks have made decisions in their careers, and we'll explore what each guest has learned along the way. I'm on a mission to share knowledge that is only learned in the field outside of a classroom. Join me to find inspiration for your own career. Today, I have the most special of special guests, my mom, Robin Hartman, on the podcast. She recently retired from working in the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office after 35 years. She started there as an ADA in 1988 and moved up to supervising and running a bureau. I learned a lot about how she got to the DA's office, what it was like working there, and what she misses and won't miss now that she's retired. And I hope everybody enjoys the show. And if you do, please leave me a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Please enjoy. Let's see. I'm happy to see where this next chapter takes me. I'm excited to um, have a great summer, see my friends, see family. Excited about, you know, maybe moving and traveling. And, you know, after having so many years of, you know, a regimen and things that I had to do every day, it's kind of different now. Every day is something new. I'm trying to find the time to fill the hours, what I'm going to do every day, but it's good. It's fun. Yeah, this is such an exciting time for you. So let's talk more about the transitionary period that you're in and what you are making a move from. So um, yeah, can you talk more about your time in the district attorney's office and your very, very recent retirement? Okay. So um, just as far as timelines are concerned, I started in the office in 1988, January 4th, 1988, and my last day there was April 30th, uh, 2023, so 35 years, um, starting out as an assistant district attorney, um, ending up as the chief of the grand jury unit, a unit that I... um, Well, it was a bureau, and then it turned into a unit, but I was basically doing the same thing uh, with different titles for basically the past 20 years or so, um, where uh, I was a supervisor and uh, training the young ADAs who've been in the office for, um, you know, a couple years, uh, teaching them how to do felonies, how to evaluate felonies, um how to present cases to the grand jury, how to write search warrants, um, basically everything, all the tools that a prosecutor would need. um, Mm -hmm. You know, I taught them. Yeah. And how many ADAs would be in your bureau at a time that you were directly in charge of? Um, So it would vary. When we were really, really short staff, we would have to run on five. Um, We've gone up to... 10, which is a great number because we also have to cover certain courtrooms. You know, people are out, people are on vacation, people have to do grand juries and can't cover their court assignments. The ADAs have a lot of cases, so the more ADAs they are, the uh, easier it is to spread out the the caseload, and the ADAs would have a lighter caseload. Once you have a smaller amount of assistance, their job just gets very difficult mm-hmm. because they they have a heavy caseload. They have to investigate a lot of cases. 
and also cover court and handle their grand juries. So optimally, it's better to have more than less. Mm-hmm. What is the day in the life of an ADA that worked in your bureau like? And how long is somebody typically in your bureau? Because as I understand it, it's kind of like a stepping stone, right? From yes. into other more specific um, departments. Yes. So yeah, can you talk more about what that day-to-day looks like and how you know somebody makes the move from your department to another? Okay, so... We have a schedule. Well, we had a schedule. Mm-hmm. I keep saying we have, like I'm still there. I have to get used to it. It's not mine anymore. I'm not my bureau. Mm-hmm. But um, depending on what the assignment is, the assignment could vary from day to day. So let's just say that the person was um, assigned to arraignments, to do arraignments. They, uh, that means that they would have to be in court all day long arraigning all the new felonies that came in from Suffolk County the night before. It could be um, as low as five new cases. It could be as high as 25, 30 new cases. So that assistant district attorney was responsible for um, reviewing every single felony, determining whether uh, we were going to ask for bail on the cases, um, seeing if they had an attorney, begin to investigate those cases because the cases uh, would be assigned to them and they would prepare the notices and they would have to go down to court and arraign all of those cases. So that's like one typical day if an ADA is assigned to that part. Um, They would be before a judge. They would, um, you know, make our applications on the record for bail, orders of protection, or anything else after reviewing the files that we felt was appropriate in uh, that any particular case. Other days, those ADAs might be um, have an update. That means they're not um, scheduled to cover any courtroom. So okay. those assistant DAs would basically, that would be the time that they would schedule their grand juries. So in New York, every felony needs to be presented to a grand jury um, in order to continue the prosecution. And the grand jury are the body of people that uh, would vote to indict a defendant. So they would have to, the EDAs would have to take their new cases, investigate them, uh, decide whether or not the case should go into the grand jury at all. We didn't just indict every single case. Uh, you know, they, the cases would have to be evaluated, investigated, uh, look into their prior records, look into whether or not if they have an attorney, if the attorney won some type of a plea, or um, maybe if the person has some issues, maybe a drug or alcohol-related issue, if maybe a treatment part um, might be in the cards for them. But the ADAs would need to really thoroughly investigate each and every case and not just look at the paperwork that comes in um, to determine the course of action that we're going to take. Um, if, uh, if we decide we are going to present the case to the grand jury, then the ADA needs to bring in all the witnesses. We have to make sure that we have enough evidence to proceed in the grand jury to get a true bill of indictment voted on. So that could be another day. Another day I mentioned the treatment parts. Um, 
I was the attorney in charge of certain treatment parts um, for the courts, uh, for the district attorney's office, um, specifically the mental health court, which um, I was in charge of for many, many years. And uh, all of the defendants who requested that their cases go into that treatment part would have to go through me. I would have to approve it. I would have to look at um, their psychiatric records, look to see what type of crime it was. If it was a violent crime, it wouldn't go in there. Um, it was, it is a, a great part. And um, I really do believe in the treatment parts. And if uh, the ADAs felt it appropriate, they would come to me and we would discuss whether or not the case should go into a treatment part. That could be another uh, disposition in the case. So the ADAs are very busy. They have courts to cover. They have cases to investigate. Um, They're actually, you know, also on call at night for um, police inquiries, um, for search warrant requests. The detectives would come to my bureau um, with a situation, let's say, where they were um, hoping to obtain a search warrant if there was probable cause to uh, believe that certain property was at a particular place in furtherance of a crime or something like that. So um, the assistant DA would have to determine if probable cause exists to search a premises or a car or anything for uh, certain evidence, maybe guns, stolen property, anything like that. Uh, The ADs were on call 24-7. Not every single ADA, but there was a schedule. And as the supervisor of that bureau, I was also on call yeah, um, 24-7. And I'm sure you remember growing up, me getting phone calls um, sure. any time of the day or night with, with these kind of issues. So that's another component, another thing that the ADAs learn uh, yeah. when they're in that bureau. So what sets apart a superstar ADA in your bureau from, you know, the mediocre ADAs? How do you be a really successful ADA? The one thing that um, my bureau does not teach the ADAs are how to try cases. We're not a trial bureau. So um, the first place that the ADA start off at is district court, where they learn how to handle misdemeanors, and they would be trying the misdemeanors. Then they would come to my bureau. And then from my bureau, they would be promoted out to the different um, trial bureaus or investigatory bureaus, um, where they would be trying cases or working on big wires or something like that. So... We would judge the ADAs, whether or not they were superstars, um, for different types of things that they could do, but not necessarily the trials. So it would be my bureau combined to whatever they did in district court um, would determine whether or not they were a supervisor. So in my bureau, um, a a superstar in my bureau would basically be always on time, be a team player, meaning that if somebody needed help with something 
and they were free. They would volunteer to help them, to cover them. There's a lot of moving pieces in my bureau. It was always very frantic. And we, as a smaller bureau in the office, we need to rely on um, our colleagues. And a colleague that you could rely on that would have your back is something very, very important. Um, it's an important quality in assistant DA to be able to um, be versatile and be that team player and be able to help um, another assistant out when they need it. Um, they have to obviously be smart, conscientious, um, really, you know, investigate the cases. So you could pretty much tell uh, right from the beginning. Sometimes they have it or sometimes they don't. It could be innate or it just could be that they're just really hard workers or maybe a combination of both. But if an ADA would come into my office uh, to discuss a case and if I had to ask them 20 questions and they're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, um, that's not a very good scenario. Why don't you know your case? Why don't you have an idea? Why don't you have a direction? Um, you know, I'm there to help them, but they need to come to me and, and give me something to work with, you know, and come in, have an opinion and, and do that work, do that research so that when I'm asking questions like, were there any witnesses? Did you get the 911 tape? Um, where was the evidence found? You know, I don't just get a blank stare in return. You know, they really have to know their cases. They have to know how to evaluate the cases and they need to know what cases are worth. Um, they need to possess a lot of common sense. They need to get along with people. Um, you know, we are in, in the, the district attorney's office as part of an adversarial process. You know, there's the prosecutor and the defense attorney, and it's, it's per se adversarial. However, um, you're not going into court screaming at the other parties or screaming at the judge. You need to get along with people. You need to be able to convey your point of view. You need to be able to sell your case, sell yourself, uh, appear credible. Um, there's just a whole package uh, of qualities that we look for. And, you know, the thing you could do is just work hard um, and do your work, put your nose to the grindstone, ask the right questions, and a lot of, you know, those superstar qualities will, will come if you're willing mm -hmm. to put the work in. Yeah. And it does sound like there is talk amongst the departments and amongst leadership of who the standouts are. And I think it is really important just from my limited understanding that you do collaborate well and you do be seen as somebody who is going to go a little above and beyond um, and help others um, because that really makes a difference when you're looking to make a move. And if you already have those relationships in place, it seems like it's much easier to make a move into something more specialized that you might want to go into. Oh, absolutely. Um, definitely. And, you know, your reputation precedes you. So, you know, all the bureau chiefs from all of those specialty bureaus know who are the good ADAs. And, you know, there, there's almost like a bidding war for those people because everybody wants them in their bureau. So yeah, people talk, you know, positively and 
<clears throat> unfortunately, negatively. Um, you know, it, it is a learning bureau, though. So I, as a supervisor, would never, um, you know, kill somebody's chances of being promoted based on, you know, some minor mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. That's what happens. Um, you know, that's what, but, you know, the ADAs need to learn from those mistakes. And, you know, I'll tell them, um, every time you make a mistake, it's a learning experience. Take something from that and use it the next time. Like if you, um, you know, are in the middle of a grand jury and you come running into my office and you say, you know, I think I charged the wrong section. I think it should have been this, let's say. And that happened a lot. I mean, there were constantly, you know, assistants running into my office. Oh my God, this happened, that happened. You know, we, we try to come up with a solution. We try to figure out how to correct it and the grand jury go back in, fix it. Um, and I just tell them, move on and just learn from it. And you have to be willing to do that. And you know, not have such an ego about yourself that you're not willing to see that you can, that there's room for improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me more about what the career path looks like? It sounds like, you know, you go to undergrad, then you go to law school for three years. And then if you want to go into the public sector, you would go into, does everybody go into district court and then they're promoted into your bureau? How does that work? Um, okay. So yes, you have to have four years undergraduate and then three years of law school. And, um, then you would be hired in the district attorney's office or not. <laughs> um, the best thing, uh, any advice I could give is if you're looking to do any work, uh, in the district attorney's office or in the criminal justice system in the public sector, um, to take advantage of any internships you could get. Um, there are some wonderful internship opportunities with your local law schools working in conjunction with um, local district attorney's offices. So, um, like, we have a law school right across the street, Tora Law School. We have a program with them where um, it's actually not an internship, it's an externship. And these inter externs actually um, can work under a practice order and actually go on the record and try cases before they're even, you know, an attorney. So I would just say to anyone that wants to be in the district attorney's office, it's very competitive. Uh, you really need to stand out. If you have something like that on your resume, it's very, very helpful. Um, so then let's say you did that internship and you get hired. Yes. For the most part, you start out in the district court bureau, um, or the East end bureau, which is like district court. But in New York, we have, um, East end towns. We have a bunch of East end towns that have their own court systems. So, um, you know, West Hampton, East Hampton, the North Fork, South Holds, all those different out east towns have different courts. So they're doing basically the same thing as the District Court Bureau, which is in Central Islip, but out there. And the office really did try to put people out there that live there to make their commute easier, but sometimes 
that didn't happen and you might be living on the east end and living on the west end and working on the east end or vice versa but um the office did try to put you where it was more convenient for you which is very nice <laughs> so um there the assistants would be given a caseload and a courtroom and learn how to prosecute misdemeanors or violations so such as credit larcenies, shoplifting, low-level drug cases, driving while intoxicated cases. So everything I said about investigating those cases, um, speaking to your witnesses, speaking to your police officers, looking at the legal issues, um, these are all things that young ADAs need to do. They also have to cover court, so they need to basically learn how to present themselves on the record. Um, and they also learned how to do hearings and trials down there. So, and again, the bureau that I was supervising, there were no trials, but this is where the EDs get their first case, first taste of trying cases is in district court. And you could come in in the morning and somebody marks a case ready for trial. And if you have all your witnesses available, you could be picking a jury that afternoon. And that happened to me on uh, many occasions back in the day when I was uh, a young ADA in district court. So um, it's hectic. There's a lot of cases. There's new um, discovery laws um, that have been put in place um, by the New York legislature where uh, the district attorneys are required to turn over a voluminous amount of discovery basically at the outset of the case. Um, and that has really made it a little more difficult to um, get a case ready for trial because you're, we used to have a voluntary discovery policy anyway where we would turn over what we had. But it wasn't just what we had in our... Uh, files. We had to basically now go out and look for things and make sure we have every single 911 call or, um, you know, just a vast amount of more discovery that needs to be turned over, turns over right away. So these ADAs are responsible for pulling together discovery on a numerous amount of cases. It's, it's not an easy task. We've had to, um, our office has had to start a brand new bureau called the Intake and Discovery Compliance Bureau, which uh, my bureau was under now uh, once the new administration came in and, and um, started that bureau because we needed all the manpower we could get in helping to get that discovery. So discovery is an onerous task, but it's one that we have to do. So we do it and we, you know, we would turn it over and we would get it. And, you know, it's just what we had to do. But um, it does make the job of being an assistant DA um, a little more difficult because it's a lot more work in a shorter period of time piled on top of an already voluminous amount of work that they had. How long is somebody typically working in district court before they get promoted elsewhere? So um, 
it depends on, it depends. It could be a year. It could be three years. It okay. depends on the movement of the office. So, you know, the attorney, as in any profession, people leave, people stay, and there's like, you know, an ebb and a flow. And if you're lucky, you know, a lot of people above you are leaving and creating spots for you to fill in. Um, if not, you could be in district court for like three years. But um, district court is a big bureau. There are a lot of trial parts that need to be manned. It's even though it's a lot of work and it's very busy and there's all that discovery, it's also a really fun place to be because you're working with 25, 26 people that are newly out of law school. Uh, you become very, very close with them. You, um, most of the classes, you know, let's say there's, you know, the 2022 class, let's say there were 25 of them. They would become very close with each other and, and, you know, it's like family. It's it's like family down there, like a big dysfunctional, uh, <laughs> busy, crazy family. And yeah. you know, it's it's it is a really fun place to be and a fun place to work. And you're getting a lot of experience. You're learning how to think on your feet. Um, you're part of uh, the criminal justice system, doing a very important uh, role for the public. Uh, and it's a great place to be, even though it is hectic and crazy at times. So that's where you would be before you would get promoted to um, the case advisory bureau. A grand jury unit was what it, it's called now, but it was the case advisory bureau for a long time. And then where do folks go after that? What are the more specialty bureaus that they could go into? So there's narcotics, there's major crime, there's homicide, there's child abuse, domestic violence. And is the ADA typically telling you what they're looking to grow into and you're helping them along the way? Or does it just come up that there's a position available and you make a recommendation? So part of it is, yeah, assessing and um, figuring out where that ADA would their talents would best be suited. So somebody that, you know, has a lot of personality that could really think on their feet that, uh, did a lot of trials down in district court, that person we're going to want to put in a trial bureau, somebody that, you know, a place like major crime where you're trying, you know, the major felonies, your, you know, felony assaults, your robberies, you know, those kind of cases. So, um, we could pretty much assess whether or not the ADA um, would be better in a trial bureau or maybe an investigative bureau like the White Collar Crime Bureau, where, you know, it's less cases but a lot more involvement pre-arrest and investigating and, you know, doing a lot of subpoenas and collecting the evidence and working with your detectives and figuring out what's a charge, if anything. Um, that's also a very exciting, interesting place. I was actually in the White Collar Crime Bureau, and I was also in the Major Crime Bureau. They um, completely, totally different bureaus, but great bureaus nonetheless. Um, we try to match ADAs with uh, their skill sets. Sometimes 
that's not possible. Sometimes, you know, an ADA that might want to be in a trial bureau, um, there's just no spots at that time. And we would put them, let's say, in white collar. It, the best thing a prosecutor could do is be well-rounded. So um, if you go into an investigatory bureau when you're more of a trial, quote, trial person, um, you're learning a whole new skill set and learning how to investigate a case thoroughly and, and how to prepare subpoenas and, and do wiretaps and all different types, of, you know, do search warrants and do a lot more um, investigations pre-arrest on that case will only make you a better trial attorney. So the more skills you could acquire at all the different bureaus, the, the better you'll be in the long run because... Um, ADAs don't necessarily stay in one bureau their whole career. They could move around to different bureaus, and they typically do. How did you decide to become a prosecutor after you graduated from Brooklyn Law? I actually went to law school specifically to um, work in a district attorney's office. I didn't realize that you already knew that's what you wanted to do. Yeah, well, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was in college. I didn't know whether or not I wanted to go to law school. In fact, I wasn't even thinking about law school until my senior year. I was a business economics major, and I just realized that it was just very dry to me, and it wasn't really anything that I enjoyed. Um, and having a, uh, a prosecutor in the family, as you know, my uncle um, was a prosecutor for a long time. Uh, I was always fascinated by that job. Um, for many reasons, I just thought it was interesting, um, working to help the community, um, doing trials, just being on the side of justice, the whole package just really, really appealed to me. So I did go to law school with that in mind that I wanted to be a prosecutor. What was surprising to you as you did step into that role and many others during your 35 year tenure? It was surprising to me how much fun I had. And I just really enjoyed my time there a lot. Um, it was intense. It was fulfilling. It was hard work. But like I said, it was like a family. We were all in it together. We were all yeah. there um, for the greater good. Uh, we were helping our community. We were helping victims. We were, you know, helping, you know, the lower level defendants that, you know, are not evil people, but are just down on their luck. People mm -hmm. that got addicted to drugs and committed crimes. If we could help defendants, um, you know, rehabilitate defendants and help them become productive members of society that was really fulfilling. I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed the major crime bureau a lot. I enjoyed having my own cases to take apart and to investigate and to figure out how to prosecute those cases. Um, it was like a puzzle. It was very challenging. It's, it's challenging work. It's rewarding work. It could be frustrating if things don't go your way. Sometimes you're dealing with difficult judges or difficult defense attorneys, um, but you have to 
a seasoned attorney will not let it get to you. I mean, I have had times where newer assistants have, you know, come into my office and, you know, have cried over something a judge might have said to them or a defense attorney or something. What sort of advice do you have for somebody in the workplace to not take that personally? What would I say to that person? I would say that you have to go down there, um, be confident in yourself, um, tell them that they know what they need to be doing, tell them that they just have to stay the course and not let people get into their heads and get to them, um, that they're doing a great job. Um, or if they did do something that wasn't great, I would, you know, kind of try to push them along and give them the right direction on which to go into and just explain to them that, you know, many years from now, they'll look back at that experience and laugh if, you know, something (laughs) bad happened in the courtroom. It's, it's a war story, you know, all, um, all prosecutors have those war stories. Some are. Uh, worse than others, but we all have them. We all have that, you know, time in the courtroom where things weren't going our way and we just wanted to like run out the door and out the building and never come back. But, um, you know, it does create character. Uh, You have to learn how to live and adapt in those situations and learn how to think on your feet. And that just comes with experience. And, you know, I just tell them, you know, you're just young, you're learning, put in the work and do what you're supposed to be doing. And, you know, you'll be fine. And I know that many ADAs that come into the office do at some point decide that they want to go into private practice. Can you talk more about the pros and cons of the public sector versus the private sector? So I actually started off in the private sector in a job that I really did not like at all. Um, Why didn't you like it? Because I worked for a psycho attorney. There are a lot uh, of those though, aren't there? (laughs) There are, but um, it was just, there was no guidance. He would just throw files at me and tell me to do stuff that I was not trained to do. Um, in time, I learned how to handle him and handle those cases, but it wasn't my passion. And I knew that my passion lied in the district attorney's office, so I um, reapplied to get into uh, the DA's office again, and luckily I was able to um, have an offer the second time I interviewed. So I did it a little backwards. So I had private practice first, and then I went into public sector. But, you know, many people do leave for um, the private sector. Um, Many reasons for that. Um, A lot of it's money. Um, You know, the the private sector government jobs are not known for those high paying jobs. There's no expense accounts. There's no beautiful offices. Um, So, you know, a lot of people just had to leave to you know, make more money and support their families. Some people just wanted to use the district attorney's office as a stepping stone. Um, A lot of law firms in the private sector 
do look to hire former prosecutors because of the experience that prosecutors have had. They've been in court. They've tried cases. They've had heavy caseloads. Um, so they, um, they're a hot commodity in the private sector. So those private firms are looking to hire assistant DAs. The assistant DAs that leave, uh, like I said, could be money. It could be their passion just isn't into it, and they just wanted to come to the DA's office to gain that experience to make themselves more marketable in the private sector. You know, or it could be, you know, um, it's just not a good fit. You know, there are just some people that it's just not a good fit, like in any particular job. So that's basically the reasons. But you will find a lot of people, a lot of former um, prosecutors are defense attorneys now because that's what they know. And they will tell you that their best time, their best part of their career was when they were in the DA's office because it's just, you know, that kind of place, uh, the camaraderie, the, the job itself. You know, I, obviously I loved it. I was there for yeah. a very long time. So, you know. And I, do you think that is because of the relationships and the community? Um, you know, that has a lot to do with it. Um, that has a lot to do with it. I worked with some wonderful, wonderful people. Um, not only in the district attorney's office, but um, in the court system. The people that I met from the mental health part or the legal aid society um, or some judges or some people in, in clerical positions in our office. They're just such a great group of people that I was able to meet and you know have a great time with. To me, it was almost like it wasn't work because I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. But, um, you know, I just, I really did feel that way. Well, now that you're retired, looking back, what don't you miss about working in the DA's office? I was there for 35 years and that's a very long time to be in one particular place. So I feel like Maybe I just wasn't as challenged as I was back in the day. It did become a little bit mundane to me. I was getting old. I'm older than I was when I started. When I started, I was 25 years old, believe it or not. I'm yeah. 60 now. I mean, my entire adult, my entire adult life was, was there. Um, and I think it was just time to leave. Um, I don't miss getting up at 6.30. I don't miss those middle-of-the-night phone calls that I would get. I don't miss a lot of those hectic times where it just seemed like everything was against us, where, you know, let's say we, we just, you know, had, you know, rulings not go our way or a judge that was, you know, just giving somebody a really hard time. I was... In the job that I was in, I became um, a liaison to the different other bureaus because many times the ADAs in my bureau would have to handle cases for those other trial bureaus. So 
there was just a lot of troubleshooting and a lot of moving parts and it was hectic. And, um, at this stage of the game, um, I don't miss that. I don't miss that, that hectic things not going the right way, uh, situations. There were the hectic at the end of the day, we got it done. Those were great feelings, but at the end of the day, when things didn't go according to plan, they would, you know, it would start to get to me. And, um, you know, I just realized that it's better to leave now before I, you know, thought that maybe I could get soured on the job. I wasn't anywhere near that, but, um, I was getting to a point where I just felt like it was beneficial for me to leave when I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that. You wanted to leave on a high note. Yeah. Looking back absolutely. at all of the work that you did accomplish over the 35 years there, what are the moments that you feel that you were super successful or moments that you feel super proud? I mean, it would have to be the trials. You know, those were a lot of work, but they were great. So you would get a trial. You would have to make sure that you had all your witnesses. You would, it was like a puzzle, putting together, making sure that every piece fit, making sure that you told a clear, cohesive story to the jury and that you had your evidence to back it up. And, um, you know, speaking to those 12 individuals, um, trying to convince them um, of the facts, showing them that based on those facts that these crimes were committed, be having the defense attorney obviously trying to like poke holes in the story and create reasonable doubt, um, you know, having the judge maybe not rule your way all the time in those trials. Um, they, they were very challenging, but they were so gratifying because it just is the best feeling in the world when you speak to these juries after they have convicted somebody and they would tell you, you know, that this piece of evidence, you know, really was, you know, the key to it. And you worked really hard to make sure you had that evidence and, you know, um, or something that you might've said on summation to them really struck home with them. It's not easy work The trial attorneys, you have to be smart you have to be charismatic and you have to be able to convey a narrative um, and you have to back it up with evidence and you have to know the evidence. You have to know what evidence is admissible, what evidence isn't, how you phrase those questions. Um, There's a lot going on. It's, it's not an easy thing. You basically live, breathe and eat um, your trials. I mean, most attorneys don't even have time to eat when they're on trial they don't sleep. You're waking up at three in the morning with an idea, jotting it down. Um, but just so satisfying and gratifying after you would get those kind of convictions on a real hard fought case. Um, those were the best times and being a supervisor was also great, but I do miss trying those cases myself. Yeah, especially because you did say that you miss feeling super challenged and it sounds like the trials were all that. All of that and then some. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, those were, those were great. They really mm-hmm. were. 
And even, you know, the trials that maybe, you know, I didn't get a conviction or I got a conviction on a lesser charge, um, you know, I took a lot, you know, of that, you know, as, as learning experiences, you know, um, you know, maybe I could have done this, maybe I could have done that. Maybe there was nothing I could do, you know, maybe we just didn't have enough. And, and those are frustrating times as well when you, um, go to trial with, you know, the best evidence you have, but you know, it's not enough, you know, or maybe something got suppressed, so you can't put that in. Um, so those times too, you know, they were challenging, but I always took those as learning experiences as well. And, you know, everything that you do in your career, and this is any career, you know, don't be afraid to take risks and, you know, try new things. And, you know, that's the way you grow. That's the way you learn. And it challenges you and you should be challenged at any job you're in. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, I was going to ask, do you have any advice for somebody who is starting off in their career and considering moving into the public sector, maybe being an ADA? You've given a lot of really great advice, but is there anything else that we didn't cover that you would recommend? If you're going into the public sector, um, you really have to be going into it for the right reasons. The public sector is all about the public. You're there to help your victims. You're there to make sure that justice is done. It's not about you. You have to leave your ego at the table and you have to work very hard. So I would just say, make sure that you know what you're getting into. Um, work very hard. Um, go watch trials you know, go to as many, you know, continuing legal education courses as you can to learn about different things. Um, you know, just keep learning, um, work hard, be a team player, and just take every challenge as a learning experience. I really like the advice of actually going to view trials. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, most trials are open to the public, right? All trials are. They are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you're a young ADA or you are in law school and you want to see if that's for you, um, go watch a trial. I was fortunate enough to have a wonderful internship with a federal judge when I was in law school. And um, there was this big four co-defendant bank robbery trial that um, was going on when I was there. And I would watch it every day. And I would basically, after school was over, I would run there to catch whatever I could of this trial because it was so fascinating to me. And the cast of characters that were involved, you know, some of the more flamboyant um, defense attorneys, you know, who were strutting around, you know, um, you know, <laughs> making like a their points and, you know, the, um, the, the prosecutor, you know, the prosecutors always have to be, you know, more reserved and, you know, we can't be flamboyant and, you know, there's just, um, a different, um, 
a different idea of how a prosecutor should act in front of a jury. Um, you know, basically the prosecutor needs to learn how to be the person that the jury is going to trust. You know, you need to get the trust. And I saw how those prosecutors were gaining the trust of the jury. And, um, you know, I said, geez, I can't wait till I could do that. You know, it just, it was great. Um, seeing how they put evidence in, seeing when the times wouldn't go their way, seeing how they wouldn't let it affect them or, or they wouldn't show their disappointment to a jury. Um, you know, there's just like a lot of little tricks like that, that, you know, you're only going to learn if you watch these trials. Um, so I would just say, if this is what you want to do, watch, take notes, ask questions of the prosecutors. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And, and then, you know, go do it yourself. I mean, in district court, if you're a young assistant in district court, I would say grab as many trials as you could. You know, there were some ADAs that don't want to try cases and some ADAs that really, that's all they want to do with try cases. Grab those cases and just do them. Um, the, uh, most of those cases are, you know, low stakes cases. This is the place to hone your skills and to learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Yeah. So get that firsthand experience before really diving all in. Yeah, definitely. Um Mm-hmm. You know, the um, the worst thing you could do as a prosecutor is try to be somebody else. You have to learn um, to be yourself so that you're portrayed in an honest way to the jury. That You want the jury to trust you. So you need to be your authentic self in front of them. So you have to learn what works for you. What works for you might not work for somebody else. Uh, what works for somebody else may not work for you. So get out there and figure out, you know, how you're going to, you know, present yourself to to the juries. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for being on. This was such a good conversation. I feel like I learned a lot about what you've been doing over the past 35 (laughs) years. I feel like you kind of know just from osmosis, no? Yeah. (laughs) No, I definitely do. But I've learned a lot more. Great. Go to unchartedcareers.com if you're interested in one-on-one career coaching or are looking to learn more about uncharted careers and my coaching approach. Thanks for listening.